and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Hebrews chapter 13. This, we have three messages left in the book of Hebrews today, and then next week I'm going to spin off of something that we read in chapter 12 and talk about mountains of judgment within the scriptures, and then we'll finish the book the following week, and then we'll get into our Christmas series where we look at what God has done for us by his son. So that's kind of the teaching schedule for the end of the year. Uh, these verses that we finish with here in the book of Hebrews, these are, these are stirring verses. They are intended to cause you to think about who you are and what you are doing as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why they're here. Okay. One of the things that we did recently, actually, let me show, show you this in 1322. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. That's what he's saying. The entire letter is a message of exhortation. Uh, he wrote to this group of Jewish people in order to do something that would stir their soul. And so it's a calling or an entreaty, a comfort and encouragement to find life, hope, peace, and power, love in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it's also a stirring address intended to bring about specific actions. And so his goal is for Christians to live like Christians in the context that they're in. Okay? So that's what we'll talk about. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, I took my my two kids, Nadia and Solomon, as well as Megan Friend and um, Balin Roulette, we went to the Czech Republic. And in the Czech Republic, we were working with a missionary group that we support called Josiah Venture, and we were doing what they call an exit tour. And what the exit tour does is we go into a local city and we help a local church meet students within their local schools. So that's the goal, is we went into the town of Strakonitz, Czech Republic, and we were working with a little church about a 15-year-old church with 14 or 15 people in it um, and like four or five kids, maybe eight kids showing up to their, their youth group and they've been working and working and working to be able to share the gospel and meet people within their community. And so what we do along with a group called Faith Child was there. Uh, that's a, uh, a rapper from... Uh, the UK, and as well as his drummer and guitar player, we were working with Josiah Venture to go into schools, and we would run an all-school assembly uh, that the, obviously the whole school's showing up to this, and they're doing some stuff in Czech, and they're singing some songs in English, and they're inviting people to be a part of after-school events, and then the large assembly leaves, and the English classes would come back to the gym, and there within that time frame, we would help them practice conversational English, and so we'd play some games with them, and then when the games were done, we would sit down in circles and let them practice conversation English. And so what I would do with that time, and this is what they taught us to do, is you ask two sort of icebreaker questions and then you ask a deeper question. And so I would ask them, you know, what's your name? What's your favorite hobby? And what city are you from? And I would start and then they would go around and they'd all practice their conversational English and share that. And then I would say, you know, I've been to the Czech Republic three times, but the other students that are here with me, this is their first time. What foods should we enjoy while we're in the Czech Republic and what should we watch out for? Um, and they would all go around and share, this is their favorite food, this is what you should watch out for. And if you go to the Czech Republic, just anything with dill sauce on it, just eat something else. Um, it's overpowering and sticky and weird. Um, and, uh, and so then the third question, I would answer those questions first, and then the third question, I would ask them, you guys are growing up and turning into adults, what do you think the most important part of life is? Would you say that it's family? Would you say finding a significant other and having love? Would you say your career and your education? Would you say um, maybe something else, traveling? What's the most important part of growing into an adult? And for the most part, they would go around and say something about family or human relationships. A few would talk about money, a few would talk about their character uh, developing into somebody that, that can stand on their own two feet. Um, and so I would answer that question last, and I would say I agree that family is important and career is important and uh, having love in your life is, is important. Um, 
But I, I also believe that the number one thing is our relationship with God. Because if we have a good relationship with God and we're being fulfilled by him, then we're going to be able to approach our human relationships as people who are there to give rather than people that are there to take. Most human relationships break down because we're trying to get something from the other person that really God should be giving us rather than receiving what we need from God and being free to bless the other person. And it's interesting when you share that, you can see their eyes light up and go, well, that's why dad treats mom that way. He's trying to take from her rather than give to her. That's why I have this relationship uh, with, a, with, a, with a friend because I'm always trying to take from them rather than being freed up to give to them. And then I would share with them that, that God's love, and this is why it's so beautiful to be a Christian, God's love is both um, unconditional in that you don't have to be perfect to be loved, and it's sacrificial that he takes from what he has and gives to you. And this is a beautiful thing. And so we had several conversations like that, and on Thursday night, the band does a full concert, and uh, they share what it is to have God as their father during this process. Faith Child's story is an amazing one and that his mom became pregnant out of wedlock and went to uh, the abortion clinic to abort him and audibly heard God say, no, I don't want you to do this. That child inside of you is going to do amazing things for me. Um, and so he shares, but he grew up without a dad. And so how, do, what, what is, how does he find his heavenly father? Um, and so he shares that story and some of the uh, people that are part of the exit tour shared their story. Um, and many students responded to that. Um, Nadia and I got to have a conversation with a young lady, Veronica, and uh, what it was like for her to have relationship with God. She believed in God, but uh, one of the other things we got to do is we were giving Bibles to students. I asked Veronica if she had a Bible, and she said, my aunt in Austria has one, but no, there's not one in our house, and I have never really read it. And so we gave her a Bible and a little track that went in there to kind of talk about who God is and how to have relationship with him. But also I encourage her to read the Gospel of John and read for the seven signs and the seven I am statements. And so we're praying for Veronica that she's reading that Bible and that God is impacting her heart. There was another young man named Philippe um, that ended up connecting. He connected with me at the school and then he ended up connecting with the local pastor, which is what we really want. We really want the students to meet the local church because we're home, the local church is there and they can disciple and encourage these people to grow into the relationship with God. And so we want to be praying for that local church church as well. Um, the, the youth group, like I said, it meets on Friday afternoons and there were typically four to eight students that showed up to it. The Friday that we were there, there were 50 students there. Um, so in some ways, the leaders were just overwhelmed. Like we didn't know this many people were going to show up. Um, but it's also really cool because uh, they, they get the opportunity to interact with another 40 students that they hadn't had an opportunity to interact with. And so we want to be praying for how God is working there. Uh, one of the other things that happened on the trip is this is my son Solomon up here, and he is he's six foot three and fifteen and a half years old, and he's not quite sure where his limbs are. Um, and uh, we were there was a little cafe in Strakonitz, and we would go there and have coffee, and they would have hot chocolate. Now, hot chocolate in the Czech Republic is not what you're thinking of here. It's not like um, Swiss Miss and really watery. It is chocolate that has been melted down, and it is dense and rich and totally different. Well, Solomon gets up from the table and accidentally hits it, and a full cup of this hot chocolate goes on Braden's lap. Balin's lap. Sorry, I'm saying the wrong name. Balin's lap. Goes on Balin's lap. And, uh, and Balin is obviously pretty upset. And we were then joking with Solomon that if you're near him or if he has a drink, that uh, you sh we should probably be drinking out of sippy cups. Um, <laughs> and the reason you give somebody a sippy cup is because they lack awareness. They're not really sure what they're doing. You also give your kids a sippy cup because you know they might throw it at you in a tantrum, right? And, and so I want to use that metaphor of a sippy cup to talk about who we are as Christians. And so, it, it, Christian, my question for you this morning is what is in your hands, a sippy cup or a sword? Are you behaving like a spiritual toddler or like a spiritual warrior? And I really think that this passage is going to draw that out. Now, I know in a crowd like this that there are some people who are are not followers of Jesus Christ. And so I want this message to land for you as well. Though I, I admit I'm speaking primarily to Christians this morning. So if you're a non-Christian and you're here this morning, what I want you to hear is that there are unhealthy behaviors that Christians can practice and there are healthy behaviors that Christians can practice. And just because someone makes a, a proclamation that they're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that they're going to be living the healthy practices. And so you may have a Christian in your life where you go, they always did unhealthy stuff. 
They can do that. They can choose that. They could also choose to walk in line with God's word and be transformed by his spirit and be then made into the image of Jesus and live a totally different life. And that's what I would call you two as a non-Christian this morning, that Jesus Christ has amazing life for you. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. He rose from the dead three days later to prove that he is the Messiah and also to give you new life. He sent his Holy Spirit forward so that upon your belief, God would indwell you and the very presence that raised Jesus from the dead would be giving your life body, life. He'd be transforming your mind and making you someone new. And so if you sign up, well, maybe not the right word, but if you choose to follow Jesus and become a Christian, that's, that's really what Christianity is. It's not, it's not fire insurance. It's not, yeah, I raised my hand one time and now I go do whatever I want with the rest of my life. Instead, it's intended to transform you because that's what's best for you as a, as a human being. And God wants to bless you in that way. So, let me pray and we will look. Oh, let me go over this real quick first. Hold on. I'm struggling with technology. I look like grandpa up here. I'm not that old. Um, when we talk about sippy cup Christians, this is somebody that would complain about being challenged. So you receive a challenging message from the scriptures and you complain about it. Whereas somebody, a Christian that's following God and has a sword in their hands, the sword of his, of his word, they step up when they're challenged. They hear the challenge of the scripture and they go, okay, God's calling me to something greater. Uh, a sippy cup Christian is going to seek to have their preferences met, whereas a, a maturing Christian is going to seek to grow God's kingdom. A sippy cup Christian is going to demand attention, but wear a mask. I need you to pay attention to me, but I'm going to pretend to be something that I'm not. Whereas a maturing Christian is content, authentic, and transparent. The sippy cup Christian lives their life to consume, and the cr Christian carrying a sword lives their life to contribute. So there's immaturity and maturity, right? And that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. So with that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I ask that uh, you would speak through me, that this wouldn't be my opinion or... Uh, <laughs> There's, there's, there's a part of me, God, that, that feels frustrated in these situations, so don't allow my frustration to come out, but instead your grace to come out of me. Help, help me to be compassionate in the delivery of this message, God, because you are compassionate. Um, you care about us, you know our stories, and you want to lead us to something greater, which is knowing you. I pray that each person this morning, whether they're a non-Christian who's not sure if they want to follow you yet or not, uh, or if they're a Christian, would be moved closer to you, Jesus. Um, that's really what I, I pray I can do each time I share your word is that every person in the room is moved closer to your son, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So verse 1 of chapter 13. And real quick, we're a long way into this and I haven't read anything from the Bible yet. Um, the book of Hebrews, as I said there, it's a stirring it's intended to be a message of exhortation. And what we've been reading in the book of Hebrews is who Jesus is, Christology, from the Old Testament. So he's saying, here are Old Testament verses that explain the Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah, follow him, not cultural whims. Okay, that's been what's been going on over and over again. Chapter 13, he's gonna say, now, you guys know all this, this is how you should live, okay? So let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. He says, there's brotherly love going on within you and you're caring for one another. Don't let it stop. Continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. He says, this is a big part of being a Christian is hospitality. Opening your life, opening your wallet, opening your home. This is a big part of being a Christian. He says, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. What does that mean? Let me show you what's going on here. The sippy cup Christian, what they do is they feed off of and drain others. You spend time with them and you leave and you go, I am exhausted from that interaction. Whereas a Christian that's maturing, they grow others by opening their home, their wallet, and their life. They're saying, what I have is to be used to create a heavenly environment. Whereas the sippy cup Christian, they're creating unhealthy conditions. Um, if you were to go to an unhealthy Christian's house, you would recognize that there are patterns set up within their home that lead to them living an unhealthy lifestyle. Whereas if you spent time within somebody that's maturing, you recognize that they have opened their home, their bank account, and their life in general to create.
angels would like to be a part of. Um, in other words, like when you serve dinner, angels go, that house looks pretty good. Now, that happens at my house every night because Becky's there. But, oh, that was bad. That was so lame. But anyway, um, yeah, nice plug. Yeah, I got to go for it every once in a while. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. This is somewhere that an angel would want to be versus somewhere that a demon would want to be. And that's honestly what he's kind of saying here is that some of your houses are places that demons would like to dwell and some of your houses are places that angels would like to dwell. And that's a pretty big statement, okay? Then he goes on. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. And so what we see here is that the Sippy Cup Christian is going to grumble about how the world treats Christians but probably has never experienced any real loss or mistreatment for following him. Um, all talk and no action in regard to caring for those experiencing trouble for following Jesus. Whereas the mature Christian is going to commiserate with, serve, and bless fellow believers. This person is bold enough to take a stand and live for Jesus in the public square. And he says, remember those in prison. And so they're doing that. They're remembering them. And then as though you were the one who was being mistreated. And so this is a statement of this is somebody that's willing to live in the same manner as the person who's being persecuted. And so they find stories of believers being persecuted as inspirational, not cautionary. So when they hear about a Christian in another place or a Christian within their workplace who's receiving persecution for doing what is right and biblical, they don't go, oh boy, I better not do that too. I might get in trouble. They say, no, that's inspirational. They're bold enough to live for Jesus. They're willing to do what it takes in order for the gospel to be heard within their context. And so they're, they're experiencing persecution because of that. And Jesus promised that, you, that we would. He promised that the world would not give us peace, but he would in the midst of persecution. And so they're, they're, they're bold enough to do it, and I find them inspirational, not cautionary. I think the average Christian probably finds stories of persecution as cautionary, not inspirational. So he says, live this way. Then he goes on, and he says, marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Listen to this. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, you, Christian, honor your marriage and keep your bed undefiled, because God will judge you, Christian, if you're sexually immoral, immoral or an adulterer. What's he talking about? Well, there are natural consequences for your actions. If you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are engaging in pornography on a regular basis and wondering why there's distance between you and your wife, I could give you a big duh. You thought that having unity or, or you thought that having intimacy with the screen was going to create intimacy with your bride? Are you kidding me? That's dumb. And that's a natural consequence. If you're not a follower, or excuse me, if you're not yet married and you're living in a way where you're giving your body away to other people before you're married, you're going to pay consequences for that. You're going to enter into your marriage with baggage. You're going to enter into your marriage with memories and images and behaviors that will then impact your relationship with your spouse. Now, God is full of grace. And he can redeem all of those situations. But there are consequences for your actions here on earth. And you're going to experience those if you live a sexually immoral lifestyle. The other thing that he's talking about here is a Christian, is, and this has been gone over over and over within the book of Hebrews, is that if you live your life outside of God's will here on earth, not only are you going to put a barrier between your relationship with him right now, if you're practicing sexual immorality and expecting intimacy with God, no. If you have any major sin pattern in your life and you wonder why your prayers are hindered, I could tell you. Okay, so that, that's one of the things. But he also says that in the life to come that you will be forfeiting reward. And so all of those things are true. There's the natural consequences of your actions here in this life. There are the consequences of your hindered relationship with God because of persistent sin in your life that you're not willing to repent from. And there's also giving away what's coming in the life to come, the, re the rewards that are to be there. And so the sippy cup Christian secretly or embraces sexual sin. They follow cultural norms rather than biblical morality. They protect areas of sin in their life by hiding, making excuses, and attacking others. 
If you have persistent sexual sin in your life and somebody points it out and you go, no, that's not true. Well, I do it because of this thing that happened in my childhood. Maybe you do. That's still an excuse. Or you attack them in return. Well, you probably struggle with this, that, or the other thing. Those are all defense mechanisms so that you don't have to deal with your sin. And that's what a toddler does. Whereas a mature Christian maintains purity by destroying sexual sin in their life. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your cell phone causes you to look at pornography, I don't know, get a flip phone. Do whatever you gotta do to not be that person. Holds biblical truth as the final say in all matters of morality. Desires to live accordingly and keeps in step with the Holy Spirit to do so. This is so important. I'm not going to tell anybody here that you can live a moral life in your own strength. You can't. I can't. We can't. But when we keep in step with the Holy Spirit and our desires become God's desires, we're going to live a different way. Okay? And then he says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Here's what I want you to see here. When, when you love money, that is actually the inverse of viewing God as what you need. When, when you make material wealth and possessions the apple of your eye, you're setting yourself up in a way that you will not see God as all that you need. And so money is a tool. It's a, it's, a, it's a tool that we should leverage to bless people. It's a tool that we should leverage to have needs met. It's a tool that we should leverage so that we can grow more of it so we have more to bless other people with rather than squandering it so we have less of it to bless people with. It's a tool. It's, it's something that we have, but it is not what you need. In fact, if he took it all away, what do you have left? I will never leave you or abandon you. If God put you in a season of life where you had no money or you were just constantly going paycheck to paycheck, would you look at him and say, yeah, I I may not have a lot of that green stuff, but I have him and he's what I need. So the sippy cup Christian is a fool for money, possessions, and worldly good. They do not see God as enough and always need more from the world. They have an insatiable appetite. It's like eating Chinese food. You eat it, you feel full, and 20 minutes later you're like, I don't feel full at all. That's because there's no nutritional value. And neither is there, there is no nutritional value for your soul in these things. There is no nutritional value for your soul in these things. And so a sword Christian is a fool for Jesus and uses material wealth for his kingdom and the spread of his gospel. Jesus is their all in all and his glory is their aim. Their desires are redeemed. Listen to this. And the greatest joy is to walk with Jesus and see his work accomplished. The high point of my joy in the last month was handing that Bible to Veronica. That was the high point of, my la- of the last month for me because I'm looking at this young lady who's desiring a relationship with God and I'm putting his word in her hands and I pray she reads it and I pray God saves her and I pray she ends up living in a way that causes her parents to go, what happened to you? Well, I've been reading this book. And I've seen this happen in youth group. I've seen students show up to youth group and they, they, they engage with God's word and they start reading it and they get saved and they live different and their unbelieving parents go, what'd you do to my kid? Nothing, I gave him a Bible. You wanna know why they're different? It's because God has changed them. And I pray that that happens in her life. That was the high point of, my, of the last month for me was, was that moment and what could come from it as God uses his word in her life. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. This is interesting. This remember is probably talking somewhat of past tense, leaders that were there that have passed away and what was the outcome of their life. And if the outcome of their life was good, godly, and the spread of his gospel, he says imitate it. If the outcome of their life was greed, power grabbing, and hurt people, don't imitate it. 
So the Sippy Cup Christian, what they're going to do is they're going to criticize and undermine those God has raised up to preach and teach his word. And the, the goal behind that is to avoid the application of God's word to their life by sabotaging his messenger. And this is, this is what will happen to you if you share God's word in a public space. They're not necessarily going to attack God. They're going to attack you, his messenger. And the goal is they don't want the application of God's word in their life. But Christians do this too. A challenging message is offered, and instead of stepping up to the plate and saying, I'm willing to be challenged and grow, they say, well, I didn't like the way he said it. Remember, he was dyslexic, and he said that word backwards, and he, and he didn't know how to operate his iPad, and, and I didn't really like his tone of voice, and the goal is to sabotage the, the messenger so that you don't have to apply God's word to your life, and so they create drama and distraction, hindering the congregation from God's mission as they emphasize peripheral nonsense. This is what a toddler Christian who doesn't want to change does. Somebody who's maturing in Christ and carrying the sword as, as the word of God, they seek to understand and learn from those raised up to preach and teach God's word, whether that's currently or before. Especially, and this is, this is the important part, how do these leaders rearrange their life to share God's truth, God's love, and God's gospel? This is, this is, if you want to judge me, judge me in this way. And I, and I invite it. You may judge me in this way. If my life is not rearranged so that God's truth, God's love, and God's gospel can move, then fire me. Like, go for it. But I guarantee you, and, and you point out areas where I'm wrong, but my goal is to have my life arranged so that his truth, his love, and his gospel moves through our congregation, out into our community, and across the world as opportunity presents itself. Now, you tell me if I do it wrong. I have open ears. I am not above receiving constructive criticism. But if it's not constructive, if it's this, do me a favor pray about it and don't waste my time with it. See, they avoid drama and distractions advancing God's mission as they emphasize what matters. Then he goes on and he says, even better than that, get your eyes off the leader. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. Don't be led astray by strange teachings. It's good for the heart to be established by grace, not by, you could just replace this with law. Since, they, since those who observe it have not benefited. And then the real important part here, he's saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm gonna have bad days. So are other people in your life. Jesus is never having a bad day. He's always the same. He, his, he's not going to show up one day and be overly emotional. He's not going to show up one day and, and have his anger out of control. He's not going to show up one day and be depressed or anxious or unable to care for you. He's always the same. People, that's a different story. So the Sippy Cup Christian, they fall for and promote doctrines that make them feel good about sinning and self-effort. By the way, this, that's what following the law is. The law will always lead you to sin. It will never lead you to righteousness. And it always depends on your effort rather than God's grace. And so that's what they're doing. They're promoting doctrines that make them feel good about sinning and self-effort. And the, the main sin that law-based law Christians express is pride. I did it better than you. Their, own, their, their power source is their own ability, and morality, listen to this, morality is an ever-shifting target rather than a steady walk with Jesus. You want to you know why the church can't figure out what to do with morality? They're not walking with Jesus. If, if, this, if this is changing, it's because they've walked away from him. So he says, hold fast to the doctrines of the faith. And you'll see that within the scriptures. Not a faith, not some faith, the faith. In other words, it's singular that upholds reliance on Jesus and conformity to his image. Their power source is the grace of God and their foundation is the steadfast person and work of Jesus Christ. This is so different. These, these two things have absolutely nothing to do with one another. Another. 
And this is a more convoluted section here. He says, we have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. If you don't know the book of Leviticus, and I won't be surprised if you don't, but if you don't know the book of Leviticus, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the sacrificial system within the Old Testament and how what they would do is an animal would be sacrificed on the behalf of the person. Its blood would then be put on the horns of the altar to give them a picture of God's wrath being appeased by the substitutionary death of this animal. And then they would take the animal, some of it would be eaten by the priesthood, and some of it would be taken outside the city and burned, both as a demonstration of what you do with sin, but also as a cleanliness thing. Okay? It says, therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. This is such a big theme within the book of Hebrews. Where is your heart? Instead, we seek the one to come. And so this sippy cup Christian, what they, they want things to be the way they used to be and focus on misinformed traditions of human origin. What's going on contextually to the people that the writer of Hebrews is, is speaking to is that they, there was a group of Jewish people that said, let's live our lives as close to the wilderness experience in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy as, as possible. So let's do everything we can to live our religious life that way. Um, and he's saying that's a misinformed human tradition. What you're doing is you're missing out on what Messiah Jesus is doing today as their old way of worship has become an idol. And this is what humans are so good at. God, we, we take something that God used for good, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, and we turn it into an idol. Well, if you want to worship God, it has to look like it did right there. And the, the other place, if, if you haven't ever listened to this sermon, Haddon Robinson has a sermon that talks about the bronze snake. And the bronze snake is in Exodus, uh, excuse me, Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, the people are bitten, being bitten by fiery serpents. And God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And anyone who looks at it will be healed from the affliction of that snake bite. And so what happens in the history of the Jewish people is they take that bronze snake down and they hold on to it. And it makes its way from one place to another, to another, to another. And it actually becomes something that they idolize and they worship it instead of God. And this is what humans are really, really good at, is we take something that God used for good and make an idol out of it rather than seeing God. And this is true within the church of Christianity today. There are modes and methods and practices that you go, well, that's how we did it back in the day, so it must be done that way now. Well, what if it misses the next generation? What if that mode and method doesn't reach people? Well, let's keep doing it. Because it worked that way before, and it's going to work that way again, doggone it. And it misses. The sword Christian understands church history and honors the faith of our fathers by seeking the timeless, unchanging person of Jesus. The focus is on close proximity to him, Jesus, and what he's doing in the world at this moment and his return. It's not that we can't understand church history. In fact, I'd encourage you to do so. Um, there are so many tools at your fingertips where you can learn about church history, the good, the bad, what we should hang on to, what we should let go of. But the process of it is, is going, look at how God used our fathers in the past, and what is Jesus doing now? What's he doing, what's he doing at this moment? What principles could we learn from church history that we could use today? Like, Gregorian hymns were really popular, our Gregorian chants were really popular in, in the first century. Should we give them a go? No. It's not the mode. It's the principle that's behind it. What they were doing is they were reaching out to their culture in music that their culture understood, but with the words of God. That's what they were doing. The bar songs of the 1700s were very popular with the Wesleys. They would take a bar song and rewrite it with Christian words. What were they doing? They were saying, yeah, you guys know this tune. Well, let me show you how Jesus is going to redeem this tune so that it can be something that worships him. That was the principle that was happening. And so on with many different things. It says, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up 
to God. Sacrifices of praise. What's a sacrifice of praise? I love this. It makes it so simple. The fruit of lips that confess his name. You want to praise God? Have your mouth speak his name. No matter what context. You, you want to worship him? Have your mouth speak his name. He says they continually offer up to God. I think we replace the word continually and we would probably say where it's convenient. I'll offer up sacrifices of praise to God and speak his name. If it's dangerous, if it would cost me something, if I would lose a friendship, if my family would get upset with me, if a coworker would be mad at me, mm. now he says continually, continually offer up these praises. And so the sippy cup Christian, they rarely, if ever, speak Jesus' name in public or share his gospel. The approval of people and comfort is more important than the approval of God. They rarely, if ever, train, prepare, or, or pray for opportunities to act as an ambassador for Jesus. The, the sword Christian are known for bold speech that proclaims Jesus and his gospel. They have trained and are prepared to share their faith. They regularly pray for the Holy Spirit to empower their words to share the gospel. If you have not trained to share your faith, you won't. Like if you invited me to a 5K tomorrow, I'm not showing up because I haven't trained for it. I'm not even going to try because I haven't trained for it. I know if you ask me to run a 5K tomorrow, I'm going to look like a dummy because I don't have what it takes to do it. And so it's not even will I show up. I'm not even going to show up. And it's the same thing if you're not trained and prepared to share your faith. You won't even show up. You'll go to your workplace and anything that looks like an opportunity to share the gospel, you won't even show up for it because you have not trained or prepared yourself to take advantage of it as the Holy Spirit empowers you. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Do what is good according to God's standards and to share. In other words, open your life to bless other people. And so the Sippy Cup Christian is going to do what's self-serving and easy. Life is given to their pleasure. Life is their pleasure. The sword Christian is going to do what's self-sacrificing and costly. Life is offered for God's pleasure. What a maturing Christian does is they reach the point where they recognize that their pleasures are garbage. The pleasures of my flesh, the desires of my flesh are garbage. I will always and every time outside of God choose what doesn't give life, but what serves me. That's what my flesh will do. What a maturing Christian does is they say, God, your pleasures are perfect. And rather than living for garbage, I want to live for what's perfect. So God, will you actually replace my pleasures with your pleasures? Will you cause me to want what you want? Will you cause me to live in a way like Jesus that is self-sacrificing and costly? Because this thing here, to do what's self-serving and easy, that's, that's the life of my past. That's the life of the world that we live in. It's me focused, what I can get, what, how I can feel better, what I can get from you. But to follow Jesus is to take up my cross daily and say, God, what do you want to use that's important to me to bless somebody else? What do you want to use that's so precious to me that I have a tendency to grip it so tightly that I would never let go of it? God, what am I gripping too tightly for you to use? Very, very different way to live. And he says, obey your leaders. This is the most un-American part of this whole message. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? In a, in a church Context: Why would you obey your leaders and submit to them? Why would you listen to the elders? Why would you listen, why would you listen to me? Why, why would you do this? Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That's a heavy statement. That someday I will die 
and I will stand before Jesus Christ and he will ask me, what did you do to lead the people that I entrusted to you? And I'm going to get up I'm going to say, God, I made sure they were as comfortable as possible. Uh, I made sure that the music was exactly what they wanted. Uh, I made sure that they were never challenged to step out in their faith. I I made sure that as many people walked in the sanctuary as humanly possible and they felt good about themselves when they left. And I told them that their sin was no big deal and that they could keep living the way that they wanted to live. No. I'm going to say, God, (laughs) to the best of my ability, I, I, I prayed and I, and I stayed up at night and I lost sleep because I wanted them to follow you in your word. I wanted their souls to be nourished by the truth that you give. I wanted them to be whole and complete. I wanted every man to be presented as complete in Christ. And if it cost me something, God, I wanted to pay it. And I didn't do it perfectly. And I'm so thankful that it doesn't depend on that because his grace is beyond what I have or what I could do. But I'm gonna give an account someday. And you know what? If you're a parent, so will you. You will give an account to God for how you parented your children and what you let in their ears and what you let fill their minds, what, 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 what crossed their eyes and how you taught them to read God's word. One of the things we saw this last week was that people who have four or more people teach them how to read the Bible, the odds of them becoming a resilient disciple instead of somebody that goes the way of the world was astronomical. It was like 80-something percent went on to follow Jesus and take his word seriously. If they had four or more people teach them how to read the God... Read the, read the word of God. Well, who are the first two? Should be mom and dad. Should be mom and dad that are talking about this is why we go to God's word and this is how you read it and this is, this is how I apply it to my life and this is why I pray before I read it and, and this is why I don't avoid difficult passages. And he says, do this so that they can do this, the account, I can give it with joy not with grief. The average pastor lasts like four to six years. And this word is why. Because you step into a context and every time you say something that challenges a Christian, <laughs> it's like you're an airplane flying over Germany, just flack, blah, 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 blah. Just nonstop flack if you actually challenge people to step up and live by the word of God. But if that's what we got to do, well, okay, let's do it. But he says that would be unprofitable for you. If you're unwilling to grow based upon the truth that's presented to you, he says that would be unprofitable for you. Uh, When I got out of high school, I worked as a personal trainer at uh, Nevada Fitness. You'd never know looking at me now, I know. Um, But uh, two other trainers quit right at the same time, and I took every client that the gym had. I was their personal trainer. And... I would also pick up new clients. And so this lady comes in, and I'm not here to be rude. She was overweight. She was, she was overweight, and she wanted to do something about it. And so she came in, and she, she said, I, I want to do some personal training with you. And I said, all right. But one of the things we do is we talk about diet. What are you eating? When are you eating it? Why are you eating it? Um, and so we have this conversation about nutrition. And we get to the end of the conversation with nutrition. I could tell she's very, very uncomfortable about the nutrition side of this. Like she would come and ride the bike and she would come and do the exercises, but changing her diet, nah, I don't know about this. And so she, she, she says, I'll do it, I'll sign up. And we sold sessions, it was 10 sessions for $1,000. And uh, guess how many she came back for? Zero. Because I sent her home with a worksheet to explain her diet and how we were gonna change it and how we were going to burn more calories than we were taking in. And if we did this over time, it would probably work. It's not a fix-all, but it's probably going to work. And she didn't come back. And that was unprofitable for her because she had the information and the tools at her fingertips to grow and to change, to become healthy versus unhealthy. And the eating habits were more important to her than being healthy. And spiritually, Christians, we have a tendency to love our sin more than we would want to change. And that is what is being called out here. 
If there's something in me or something in you that you love more than you love transformation to Jesus, that thing is an idol and it will be unprofitable for you and you will not grow. So the Sippy Cup Christian believe they have no responsibility or accountability to the leaders of the church. Like a toddler, they throw temper tantrums and make excuses to have their preferences met. When confronted, they tend to make claims like, and, and if anybody ever plays this on you, 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 you're, you <laughs> God told me that I didn't need to do what the scripture says. And then usually what they do is proof text Bible verses to back up their claims. This is, it's a trump card though. Because if I say in my private conversations, God told me that you're wrong, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, I guess God told him that. But it's weak. It's lame. It's a cop-out from these two words. And anybody who does it to you, call it what it is. No, that's a weak cop-out. Because what, what a sword Christian would do is they would seek to honor and respect those God raises up into servant leadership. And this is an important thing. If you want to be in church leadership, you are a servant. If you want to lead a ministry, you are a servant. And what a servant does is he lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Christ did. That's what you do if you want to be a servant in the church. And they're willing to submit to the whole counsel of the scriptures, not proof text a couple verses here and there, and to trusted wisdom from fellow believers. You should never make a large decision in your life based upon a solo conversation that you had with God. You should always bring in the whole counsel of the scriptures and trusted wisdom of fellow believers. Should I marry this person? Well, just go figure it out on your own. No. What does the scripture have to say about a godly spouse? What, is, what, what, are, what are the trusted people in your life have to say about this person's character? Are they seeing red flags? Are you gonna go to premarital counseling and talk to people about what this person's, do, do we actually wanna follow God together? Because marriage is about a relationship between Christ and the church, and so if marriage is a relationship about Christ and the church, and you don't wanna follow Jesus, this ain't ever gonna work the way that God says it should. Should I, should I change my job? What should we do with our money? We're talking about making an investment or opening a business or whatever the case may be. Well, I had this one random conversation with God while I was walking in the wood and I, and I think that's what I should do. No, slow down. What, what does the scripture have to say about the, the leveraging of your wealth for the growth of God's kingdom? What do trusted people in your life have to say about this? You should never make a big decision by yourself. You know Why? Because by ourselves, we are not trustworthy. And he finishes with this, and I'm running out of time, way over time. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I may re be restored to you very soon. The Sippy Cup Christian is going to cause division and dissension rather than maintain in, or excuse me, in order to maintain their perspective and position. So what's going on in this church that he's writing to? There are people that are saying, let's go back to Judaism. Let's do it this way. And the apostolic authority in their life is saying, no, don't do that. The spirit of God and the word of God is saying, terrible idea, don't do that. And instead what these people are doing is they're saying, well, this is our perspective and our position and so let's cause division and dissension and lead people away from what the Bible is saying. Their conscience is not clear because it is not subject to the word of God or the spirit of God. Rather, their desires are fleshly. The sword Christian is going to pray for the mission, reputation, and unity of the church. They're going to maintain devotion to Jesus and the leaders he raises up. And this is why they're raised up, to uphold truth, to extend God's kind of love, and to discipline the church. I think most Christians would say, I really don't like that one. They honor God's structure in the church to best equip the saints and reach the lost. This is what we're doing. I'm here to equip you to follow Jesus Christ based upon his word, to give you the tools and the knowledge and the wisdom to live a life that honors God and then to step way outside of our comfort zone and reach the lost, to share the gospel to have meaningful conversations with people. And so, are you behaving like a spiritual toddler or a spiritual warrior? 
And, and what I'll share with you is some of those things are where I become a spiritual toddler. I'm not going to lie. There are some on there, that's where I know I become a spiritual toddler because it makes me uncomfortable and I want to throw a fit. And so I'm not claiming to be exempt from this process, but instead we should follow Christ together. And, and, and I know there are other places where I'm like, this is so easy for me to be a spiritual warrior. This is, this is like right in my wheelhouse. But what I, what I encourage you to do is ask three people you trust to point out problem areas in your life and seek God's strength for change. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are here among us and that you care about each and, one of, each and every one of us individually. God, I pray for the people in this room that have not surrendered their life to you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. That they would see their need. That they know they are not complete. They know that there's something missing in the depths of their heart. They know they are incomplete and something is missing. And because of that, they've been living in a way that harms the people in their life rather than blessing them. And that's what we call sin, God a dishonoring of you and harming other people instead of blessing them. And so I pray that they would recognize that your son Jesus died in their place and for their sin on a cross so that they could be forgiven and cleansed. And then he rose from the dead so that they could be made new. That is the gospel. I pray that someone here this morning believes it and seeks the transformation of knowing you. But I also pray for us Christians, God, that we not become complacent in the way that we live for you. There's so many distractions, so many toys and experiences. There's just so many things that distract us, God. Help us, to keep our, help us to keep our eyes fixed on your son, Jesus, and his mission. Grow us into the image of your son. Stir in us daily. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.